very lonely. Um, and uh, it's been my privilege to really uh, serve you today. Uh, I got up rather early this morning uh, to get to Ludlow for 80, 8.30. Thanks for that, Chris. Um, and uh, then to be in Oswestry. So I've kind of done Shrewsbury today and Telford in one day. Um, But it's really my privilege to come because one of the exciting things is when you hear some of the stories of what came out of what was initiated here around Hope 08, it's just so exciting to see the way that God has been at work. And really what, what we're saying as we look together tonight at 2018, it's really to build on all that God is doing and all that God has done. Some of you may not know uh, the link back to Hope Away and the way it was born. So I'm going to start there. And then I'm going to just give you my understanding, not prescriptive, but just to say what could Hope 2018 look like? What are we dreaming for? What do we have aspirationally looking for? And what are we expecting God to do? And then how we can serve you as a local church to see that come about. And that's really what I want to do this evening. I just want to share the root, what God has placed into our hearts as hope to serve you as the local church. Hope 2018 has really gained massive momentum. So we have a number of cities that are doing Hope 2018 right across the city. We're partnering with Tear Fund as part of their Jubilee year, where they're linking with some cities to really invest in the whole word and deed mission across those cities. We're also linking with a load of towns and villages. And the great thing about Hope is we want every church in every community to be part of this, just to really use it as an excuse to do what we should be doing all the time, to embrace our communities, to love on our communities, and to see the gospel come together. Let me just tell you the story of how this came about. And I was really just praying and thinking as I was sitting in Chris's home and we were having various conversations. I just felt God prompt me to say, tell them the story of how this came about at the start. Um, we, I used to be National Director of Youth for Christ alongside um, a whole ministry of Youth for Christ. But I used to bring together all ministries that worked in youth so that we weren't ever seen to be in competition. Now, I know that's not ever in the kingdom, and there are no people that are ever in competition, but there was just a possibility that that could happen. And so Andy Hawthorne, who was then the director of the Message Trust, and Mike Pulavachi, we started to meet together and then bring a whole stack of other youth ministries together. And we, we came together out of relationship and as mates. And we used to meet once a term, just for a period of about 24 hours, to share together, to pray together, to dream together, to share our pain together. And out of that was born, why don't we do a mission? So we went to Manchester. The reason we went to Manchester, Andy Hawthorne's based in Manchester. Andy Hawthorne believes the second coming is going to happen in Manchester. Um, but, but we went to Manchester and we just mobilized Youth for Christ, Message and Soul Survivor. But we dropped our brands and just said, let's come together. Let's lay down what we have for the greater good of the kingdom. And uh, then as a result of that, we then went to London. I did an event in London called Soul in the City. 
um, which was massive. Uh, we managed to get Andy to come out of London, out of Manchester and come to London. And, and it was just a really exciting time. In 2006, we were reflecting on what God had done. And we were having a conversation at a Christian conference. And as we were having this conversation, we, we just sensed that out of our relationship, God had brought us together for a purpose. And we'd seen some of that, but we felt there was more. And so we were just dreaming. And we dreamt up, what about trying to mobilize the whole church for a whole year of mission in every village, town, and city in 2008? Crazy idea. And then we thought, but we're not the guys to do it. Whenever God speaks to you about something, you always think it should be someone else that should be doing this. Either a denomination or a structure or networks that are coming together. But we just said, let's just do it. And we were sitting there and Mike said, we should really pray. And we've been in prayer and, and we just said, yeah, that's right. And as we finished our discussion, Mike looked round to the leaders' lounge. That was, we were outside on the balcony of this particular conference, and there was a guy in the leaders' lounge. And the story behind the guy in the leaders' lounge, he was part of a prayer ministry team at this particular uh, festival. And he'd been driving home back to his B&B, and he felt God speak to him. And God said, you need to go back on site, because there's someone I want you to pray for. Then he was driving back, he sensed that it wasn't just one. And he came back, and I, I, I find it amazing that God is like this. He came back on site, but he didn't get any more information. <laughs> so he felt he'd been obedient, and then he went back into the leader's lounge. And when you get something and you don't know what the rest is, what do you do? So he sat in a chair and started reading the paper, thinking, well, I've been obedient, what do I do next? And then as he was doing that, oil started to flow out of three fingers. And the oil just poured out. And he then realized it was definitely three people. And Mike then walked in at this point and said, what are you doing here? He said, oh, I don't know. He said, God's spoken to me. I've come back. He said, anyway, why are you asking? And Mike said, because... Andy, Roy, and I are out there, and we're dreaming up this crazy idea. And we just wondered if you'd come and pray for us. And, Mike said, and, and he said, there's definitely three of you. And Mike said, yeah. He said, why? He said, because since I've come back here and I've been looking at the paper, the, pa the newspaper was covered in oil. He said, my three fingers have been flowing with oil. And he said, what God's saying to you is whatever you're planning to do, all three of you have got to commit to do it. And then he said this, you are all so different that you need to know that God has called you into unity. And let me tell you something. He then put a finger on us, and as he put a finger on each forehead, the oil stopped. And then we looked at one another and thought, oh no. We've got to do this. And let me tell you, the challenge of working together up until Hope 08 was enormous. Because we're all so different. 
I mean, Mike Pilavachi, he's Greek. He's a nightmare. And, 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 and then Andy Hawthorne. But we laid down our own ministries and the favor of God and the blessing of God just flowed in a phenomenal way. But we would often look back to that moment and just say, we know God has called us to this. And I think God does that when the scale of what you want to do is so much bigger than you that you need to look back to a specific calling moment where you know we're in relationship. And so that was where Hope 08 was really born. And the values around Hope 08 are very simply word and action. We don't ever see actions, social action, extravagant love in our community being separated from the proclamation of the gospel. When the church does that, we have a problem. Those are two sides of the same coin. And we've got to understand the creative tension of that, but we've got to live it out. We are not just there to extravagantly love our communities. We're there to extravagantly love our communities because of Jesus. So, so that means for God so loved the world that he gave his son. So yes, we love the world, but we then say the gospel in context left. John Stott gave a great piece at Lausanne where he said, we have separated the two, and because of that, we have lost the impact of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at Lausanne in 64, he said, we have to join these two together. I'm convinced that's what we have to do, and that's the way we have to do it. So we did word and deed. Then alongside that, we said, it's not just business as usual. We want you to take a step of faith. We want you to do more. Most church leaders said to us, do more. We're already full on. And we said, no, we want you to take a step of faith. Do something that actually encourages a step of faith. And then the final piece that we felt was really significant is let's find a way for the church to work together. Non-Christians don't get it when the church can't work together. It is really confusing. And sometimes on the same street, You've got a Baptist, you've got a Methodist, you've got an Anglican. And the thing I find amazing is in a lot of those churches, they have no problem loving the lost. That's fine. But loving the Baptist next to me, that's a different matter. Because we have a theology, you do it your way, we'll do it God's way. So the reality is that we were saying, no, let's find a way. So that those that don't believe will believe. Because that's what John 17 says. And when they believe, it's because they see our unity. Not the same. That would be terrible. But within all of our diversity, there's a unity found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we, we hold that and we also hold God to the promise in Psalm 133. Where when we can dwell together in unity across a city, across a town, get the promise, there God commands to bless. It's not an option for God. He commands to bless. So you unlock a spiritual impact across a city that you could never do on your own. 
but as the whole church. Because as Jesus looks out over Shrewsbury or Telford or wherever I am tonight, it, he, he doesn't see the Baptist or the Anglican or the Methodist or the Free Church or New Frontiers or something like He sees the church. And it's in that context that I think some of us as church leaders and of others need to have a big heart, not just for the lost, but for the body of Christ. And that is often the biggest change that we need to allow God to affect us in. Amen? So, as we come together, and as we look at this particular year that we are building towards, which, which I, I was employed in 2010 to kind of lead hope through. And the only reason we kept going is because there was a group of denominational leaders when we did a full evaluation. And the reason we did a full evaluation is because there have been so many national campaigns that were put out there. But we wanted an independent evaluation. How did we do at what we set out to do? So we asked for an independent evaluation. That independent evaluation came out in 2009. And it said, you said you were mobilizing the whole church. There was one area, well, there were two areas that that evaluation said. Everywhere that did Hope 08 saw people come to faith in Christ. Fantastic. But you said you mobilized the whole church. You did not mobilize the whole church. You didn't do well at the black majority church. And we didn't. And we had to then build relationship with the black majority church. Because believe it or not, they do things differently. Really differently. And I made a commitment to Christ to say, I want to learn what they bring. And so often, initiatives that had happened, particularly in our cities, the white person had dreamt up the initiative and then asked the black church, to bless it, patronizingly, instead of saying, let's shape this together, and what can you bring? It's been an amazing journey, and I have to say it's changed my life. Uh, they do worship. I mean, your worship was amazing, but when you go to a black majority church, they, they just walk in as if they're into <laughs> And they worship, and, and, and the other thing is, they don't seem to have any clocks. <laughs> I went to one to speak, and they said, we start at 10. That was my first mistake. I thought the service started at 10. The pastor wasn't even there at 10. 10.30, quarter to 11, he rocks up. I said, where you been? He said, getting ready. I'm like, you told me 10. He said, 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there. And, but let me tell you something. They can teach us so much. They bring something to us. So we had to build a relationship. So we have them on our leadership team now. And they shape us. They're not into process. You white people, you process everything. They don't really process. They just say, let's do it. And then they go do it. 
And, and then the other thing was that you said you were mobilizing the whole church. You didn't work specifically with the Catholic and all of them in evangelization and connecting that. So we listened to them and we responded to that. I was then taken on board in 2010. We've done a few things. I'm not going to get into what we've done, but I want us to move straight to what 2018 could look like. And just as we do that, if you're wondering what could 2018 look like and what is best practice in word and deed mission, we basically found every brilliant initiative that was around the country and put it in one place, which is this book. We stole every brilliant idea. And we put it in one place. We also said, if you want to do some of these initiatives, there's a award voucher in here, which will give you £2,000 from the Cinnamon Network to initiate those things. So if you haven't seen this book and you'd like to take one, please take one as a gift for you as church leaders, because I know times are hard. So take one of those, and if that would help you. But what we also discovered is... As we were looking forward to 2018, we felt God spoke to us about the intentionality of what could success look like for 2018. And what we came up with, very simply, was for the church of Jesus Christ across every denomination and stream, and every denomination and stream in principle has agreed to this, is could your church grow by 10% of new followers to Jesus in 2018? Could you actually do that? Is that something we're going to pray into to see how that can happen? When we discussed this as a leadership team, it was quite amazing to get the contrast of different churchmanship. So the black majority church was said, only 10%. Some others said 10%. But what it does, it's an aspiration, but it's also intentional. So it affects every area of ministry in your local church, but also every area of ministry within your community. So could, what would it look like for Shrewsbury, the church in Shrewsbury, to grow by 10%. But if we did this right across every stream, in England specifically, we are working in Scotland and Wales, but in England specifically, in one year, we could stop the decline of the church in England. If every single church grew by 10%, all of a sudden it becomes possible. And 10%, that's not hard. If you're 30, just to help you, that's three. If you're 300, that's a few more. That's of new followers of Jesus. Let me tell you why we've gone for that. We did a whole piece of research when we brought denominational leaders together. And this was a miracle that happened in 2015. We brought every denominational leader together for 24 hours. We invited them 18 months before. And we said, why don't we come together to think how we could make Jesus known over the next 20 years? Because uh, what we do today in 2018 could affect the next 20 years. So let's come together. A miracle happened. 
they all agreed to come. And we brought them out of London to Windermere. Pastor Agu said, where is that? Who's part of the Redeem Network. But then when they all said yes, we then looked at one another. It was uh, Church of England, EA, and ourselves. We all looked at one another and said, oh no, what are we going to do with them for 24 hours? But one of the pieces that we did was we did some research. And the research that we've done has changed the attitude to people in the church to evangelism. It's built confidence. We're not there yet, but this affects every denomination. We ask people in our society, what do you think of Jesus? All of this information is on our website called talkingjesus.org. It's all in PowerPoint. It's all downloadable. It's what people in our community believe about our Jesus. And we wanted to ask them what they think of Jesus. And let me give you some things that we shared with those denominational leaders. Anybody heard of this Talking Jesus research? A few people. Excellent. 43% of people outside believe Jesus rose from the dead. 43%. That's high. And the reason they come to your Easter service is because they believe Jesus rose from the dead. So don't do an apologetic of Jesus rising from the dead. They're coming because they believe that. Rico Tice, who's the evangelist based at All Souls, said this material changed his Easter sermons. Because he realized that they were coming because they believe he rose from the dead, but they hadn't experienced his resurrection. They believed it, but they hadn't experienced it. Very, very significant difference. Then we asked and we presented all this material. It's not time for me to get into it. As we presented all this material to these church leaders, with the statistician from Barna and Cumres who did all this research, sitting in the room, they said it's a credible piece of research. It will stand up, Radio 4, Radio 2, it will stand up. It's credible. We presented it to these denominational leaders. Guess what? They didn't believe it. These believers didn't believe it. And they then said to us, you've got to go and do more research. And the statistician, you don't need to do more research. They said, we do because we don't believe it. So they then said, we want to go to 5,500 people to survey. The statistician was there in the room and said, do you know that it cost about £40,000? And all these denominational leaders, it was a fascinating meeting. The spirit was among us. And we said, if you want that, you need to pay £40,000. In the room, £40,000 was given. There's another miracle. And it was initiated by one of our black brothers because they do money better than we do. He said, I'll give the first 5,000 pounds. Then everybody else went, oh. <laughs> we walked away with that. That talking Jesus research that you'll see is a survey of 5,500 people. And let me tell you what we did. We kept all the questions the same. 
it was one or two percent out. It was minimal. But then we also increased and we asked 1,500 people who they defined as practicing Christians, how did you come to faith in Jesus Christ? That's a good question, isn't it? What's the number one way that those people, and let me just give you the definition of practicing Christians. Some church leaders won't be happy with this. But the definition that they use, Cumres, as a practicing Christian, is you attend church once a month. You read the Bible at least two or three times a week, and you pray daily. That was their definition of a practicing Christian. The number one way that they came to faith in Jesus Christ, 67%. Friends and family, the number one way. And let me tell you something. Just under 70% of people in our society know a Christian. They know us. So we then asked a follow-on question. Do you like us? <laughs> Isn't that a good question? Hey-ho, what we discovered. They like us. Turn to the person next to you and say, they like us. No, no, carry on. We haven't got time to do that. But, but let me tell you something. They said, we think you're generous. We think you're fun. Yeah, you're struggling with that. And, uh, and only 3% thought we were homophobic. Generous, fun, hospitality. Really high. Let me tell you why. It's because those people out there know that it's the church that does food banks. They know it's the church that does street pastors. They know it's the church that does lunches. They know it's the church that does all of this. And the problem with our people in the pew is they believe the Daily Mail that says everybody's against us, but actually they're not. They like us. The big step is how do they move from knowing us as friend and family to then cross over to our faith. And that's where the big challenge is. Also, other reasons that they came to faith, 27% came to faith just by attending a church service. Now, we do church. Most of us do. We could just welcome and introduce a little bit better. You'd be surprised. And alongside that, invite. 28% from just reading the Bible. Never underestimate the power of the Word of God to have an effect in a person's life. That's why at Kingdom Come last year, they gave out Bibles. That was the whole reason. But also, they asked people to pray for five. The reason they said pray for five is because these people, according to this research, 20% of them are open to an experience of the love of God. That's where we've got the 
So we've reduced that and said 20% of people outside in our communities are open to an experience of the love of God. I was doing a clergy conference in the Diocese of Exeter. I was there for the whole day. I've done a number of these. And over lunch, I was having lunch and a number of clergy there. And this one clergy looked at me and said, Roy, you presented those 20% this morning. I said, yeah. He said, and you presented it so enthusiastically. He said, but Roy, that means that 80% are not. Oh. Hey, listen, if you were in business, you won't go for the 80% are not. You go after the 20% that are. And, and that's why pray for five. That's why connect. That's why. And the other thing about this 10%, and then we'll move on to the next slide, is... I've done a lot of research on what causes church growth and how do churches grow. And, and we can ask that. We could share that together. What do you think causes a church to grow? Is it great worship? Is it great preaching? Is it great children's work? Is it great youth work? What is it that causes a church to grow? Prayer. Love. The number one reason why churches grow, in all that I've read, actually flows out of a verse in John 6, verse 28 and 29. And the verse is this. The disciples ask a question of Jesus. The question they ask of Jesus is this. What does it mean to do the work of God? Isn't that a great question? What does it mean to do the work of God? Does it mean we do a great youth work? Does it mean we do a great children's work? Does it mean we put on great services? What does it mean to do the work of God? Jesus' answer in John 6 verse 29 is this. The work of God is to believe. What? Yeah. The number one reason why churches grow is they believe they're going to grow. And the leader that leads them believes they're going to grow. So he builds faith. He builds belief. Because the one thing that will take you away from what the mission of God is, is you're still in church, but you've stopped believing. You've stopped believing that this gospel changes life. You've stopped believing the power of God because stuff happens. But the work of God is this. Whatever I put my hand to, believe. Walk by faith. And churches that grow, the pastor constantly says, the leader constantly says, I believe we're going to grow. I believe we're going to grow. This gospel has about, I believe it. It's infectious. The work of God is this, to believe. That's it. I'm like, what about the strategy? What about everything else? That's all he says. Now, we've got the acts and everything else in there, obviously, and, and we've got a whole stack of other stuff. But the bottom line is that I've seen churches that grow, and the main reason they grow, yes, we need good worship, yes, we good children's work, yes, all of that. But you can do all of that without believing. Believe, build faith, link that in. So as we look forward to 2018, we want people to actually say, okay, 
What can we believe? We can believe this could work. Oh, look, they moved. What we've sought to do is build a season of invitation. And what we recognize in the church's calendar, in what we could do, there are various moments that are significant moments for the church of Jesus Christ. And so what we've sought to do is find a way that we can really serve the church to make those the best they can be. We're just about to move into Christmas. It's probably our biggest and best opportunity. So what you have placed into your hands is a little magazine that we have produced for this Christmas. You can still order these now. But last year, we tried a little experiment. I want everyone sitting in the pew to feel confident to share their faith. I really want that. But I know they struggle. In 2016, we produced a book. It was a book about the Queen's personal faith. It came out as her 90th birthday. And it was called The Servant Queen and the King She Serves. It, it was a phenomenal success. Uh, we did over a million copies. But what we discovered is people that wouldn't normally share their faith started to talk about Jesus because they had something to give. And this book was kind of a barrier. If you're not interested, then the book's protecting me. But if you are interested, the book opens a door. One lady was going with her husband on a cruise ship. She so loved the book that she took a hundred copies with her. Her husband was not pleased <laughs> on the cruise ship. In the first day, she got rid of all a hundred copies. She then went to the information desk and said, how can I get a parcel sent to this cruise ship? And he said, you can't. We're going in different ports, different places. We won't be able to catch it. And she said, what do you mean? He said, well, what do you want? She said, well, I brought 100 books, but I need another 500. And he said, there's no way. She then sent me an email, because they could send an email. She sent an email to her office. Roy, I have a problem. I need 500 of your queen books. But unfortunately, the ship won't allow me to send them because we're in a different port all over the place. But I'm sure you can make it happen. Yours. <laughs> we didn't make it happen. But I discovered something to give. So we did a little Christmas book last year with Mary Berry on the front cover. You may have seen it. And we discovered that churches distributed that in their community one church that was planted on a brand new housing estate knocked every single door. The reason they knocked the door is because the Talking Jesus research said they like us. Otherwise, they wouldn't have done it. And they were amazed at how many people said, thank you. 
they left the Merry Berry and invited them to their Christmas carol service. It was the launch of that church on that new housing estate. They had over 50 people turn up to their first carol service. Three people came expecting Mary Berry to be there. <laughs> We've produced this. Diocese have booked this and had three and a half thousand copies, four thousand copies, and given it to every home in the diocese and invited them to the Christmas carol service. It's provoked massive conversations. Mary Berry, not Mary Berry, Miranda Hart is on the front cover to open it up. But at the same time, we've got Simon Thomas on there living the dream, and he's just had a really tragic moment in his life where his wife was taken ill and died very, very suddenly. We need to pray for Simon and Ethan, his son. We've also got Gary Grant from The Entertainer, and we've done it in a really nice way. Let me tell you something. This is free for you. The only thing you have to pay is postage and some fulfillment costs. That's it. And it's to give away. So in 2018, we're doing two more of these. Just to build a bridge into your community. Knock the door. Get people out there. Get them serving. Give it out with food banks over Christmas. Give it out at Christmas carol services. It's another bridge that provokes a conversation. And in 2018, we have secured, and we just heard last week, that Prince Harry is going to be on the front cover for the Easter magazine talking about sacrifice and the Victor's Games and what Jesus' sacrifice on the cross means to him. How cool is that? It's, it's an opportunity to share faith. That's all this is but it provokes the conversation. And right around that time, it's like God planned it. He's probably going to be getting married. Uh, so we kind of set that up in that way, which was amazing. <clears throat> the only reason we've done this is to, to just help in building that bridge. And you could do it across. You could do it a joint carol service. You could do it at football stadiums. You can link together. And alongside that, we also produced this with the Bible Society, which is basically all of the top 12 carols in a lovely booklet that you could give away to everyone that comes to your carol service. But also, you could do carols in your pub. Talk to the landlord. He'd love it. She would love it. And alongside that, Integrity Music have given you an app with all of the music to the carols. Oh, just go on giving. Um, <coughs> and if you don't have PowerPoint, you just can make it. And these are all available just to something to give. But we're not underestimating the power of the conversation, the power of you with your friend, with your family member. These are all just tools to enable that to happen to link that together. And that's this Christmas. As we go forward into next year, we are really saying to the Church of Jesus Christ, there's a number of things you need to do. The first thing you have to do is you need to be intentional. Intentional about communicating Jesus. It won't just happen. You have to be intentional. Then what we've just looked at is you've got to pray. You've got to pray. And pray for five. 
The Talking Jesus Research, you could do a four-week course early in January or February because there's a booklet that you can do that will just build confidence and enable people to understand, and it's a great tool for churches to use. There's a little booklet that you can get, or you can just download it straight from the website. But let's pray. Let's really pray, individually and specifically for people to come to faith in Christ. There's been a change culturally. I think it's a really exciting time. We used to use the word mission. The mission word has dropped, and we've now reintroduced the evangelism word. It's come back. Because mission would capture everything. But evangelism, the evangel, is an intentional good news piece. And so I'm really encouraged by that. I'm really encouraged as well that every single denomination is saying not just mission, but evangelism. There's been a big shift. And okay, it may be desperate, but that we need to thank God for. Because it just feels like a new day. And, and I think... Um, as we move into that, and as we see that happen, we've got to help people with something to say. We've got to find the right tone. We've got to find the right language. And often the best way to have something to say comes out of 1 Peter 3, verse 15. When you've done something, it provokes the question. So love your community, and they'll say, why do you do that? Then give a reason for the hope that was in you, and do it with sensitivity and love. That's what 1 Peter says. So let's help people with something to say. Let's help people with something to give. I'm giving you some things to give. There are some other things that you could give. And the final piece is something to invite, but then someone brand new to get to know. Someone brand new to get to know. If you've been a Christian over 10 years, probably all your friends are Christians. So to do this, you need to be intentional. And maybe it's in a social community involvement, I'm going to get to know someone new. Maybe they're coming into the church building. Don't just sit in your group, get someone you're going to connect with and you're going to know. So that's the framework that we're kind of using. And as we look at the year, and my time's kind of moving on, so we're going to come into land here. If you have one of these, you'll see a structure of the year. If you don't have one of these, then you've got a different booklet, which also has the structure of the year and what the year could look like. And we're not prescriptive. We're not saying it has to look like this. Um, but what we are saying is you as a church, you as a community, use this year to bring about growth and change intentionally and put that on your church's agenda, your leader's agenda, connect in that way. Obviously, Easter is significant. And so what we have done for Easter next year is we have produced this book. Now, I know there's lots of Lent courses around, but we partnered with all ministries that work in prison. And we were speaking at the Prison Fellowship Conference, and they said, could we all come together under Hope 2018? This is happening all over the place. And we'll lay down our own ministry for the good of the greater, and God's blessing is upon it. 
We produced this book, which has got 40 stories of prisoners that have found hope in Jesus Christ. This book is going to be being used in every prison in England, although some are going to Scotland, in England during Lent in 2018. We have donated 15,000 copies to prison. Pentonville Prison, the governor at Pentonville Prison said, I don't only want this to go through chaplains. I want to donate this to every single prisoner in Pentonville Prison. Because he said, this place is a hopeless place and we need to bring hope. Great theologian Mortman says that the message that the church needs to bring over the next two years, more than any other message, is a message of hope. Prophetically, that will resonate with our audience, that we are people of hope. And he followed it alongside hospitality. This book, you then do as a local church for your Lent course, and it's all on Mark's Gospel, it's in the book, but it also be linking with churches together in Britain and Ireland, they're going to make this their Lent course. And at the same time that you're studying here, it will be studied in prison, with prisoners, so that you can pray for our prisons and our chaplains. Because often they're forgotten places on our church's agenda. But we need to see our prison as part of our responsibility in our patch. If you have 20 of these books, they're £2 a book. Uh, you've got to buy 20 to get them at £2. If you buy one at 7 99 I promise to donate one to every single... Uh, you buy one and then a prisoner will get one free. And the kind of stories within it, uh, let me just give you a hook of one of the stories. I was 20 years old. I was living in Gibraltar. My mother had recently died and I was grieving. I'm an only child and I never knew my dad. All 40 stories, they never knew their dad. I was approached to carry a suitcase from Thailand. Despite knowing that if I got caught, I would probably be executed. I went, I took the case. I was arrested at the airport. The authorities had been tipped off before I even got there. I was given a death sentence, which in Thailand equates to 200 years. I had a five kilo set of chains hammered to my ankles. I had my hair and eyebrows shaved off. I was led off to spend the rest of my life in Bang Kwang Maximum Security Prison. I shared a cell with 40 other chained prisoners for 18 hours a day with one hole in the floor for a toilet. I was 27. If you want to hear the story, you've got to buy the book. But that uh, is, is, uh, is that just linking with Easter and building a bridge with Easter. Then as we look at the year going forward, there is some key invitational moments. But something significant is also happening in 2018. It is a celebration of the end of the First World War. 
In 2014, it was big. In 2018, it will be even bigger. This will be massive. The BBC is already planning thousands of hours of television. 14 was big. This will be bigger. But there's a number of things that we're going to do to serve you. The 11th of the 11th is on a Sunday. So don't do your church service at 11 o'clock, please. Go and be part of what is happening on the 11th of the 11th. We're also linking with the British Legion to give out a card to every person that goes to remembrance service. And what happened in 1918 when the war ended is they remembered because obviously they'd lost a lot of life. But then in the afternoon, they had a peace party. So what we're saying to the church is in 2018, do the remembrance piece in the morning and then do a party in the afternoon. Because the kingdom of God is a party. So we should be at a party. Now, it might be a bit cold, but we can find ways around that. So we're saying on that day, it will be very significant for your community. It will be a moment of reflection, but it will be a moment where you can also build that level of invitation. But going back from that day, August the 4th in 1918, George V called the entire Commonwealth to pray for peace. We've approached the Queen to see if on that day, she would call everyone to pray for peace. Linking with her grandfather. From August the 4th to the 11th of the 11th is 99 days. We have 99 days in which to be peacemakers within our community. You could do it in your local school. You could link with your junior school. You could link with your secondary school. You could link with your community. You could give a lead on what it means to be a peacemaker. What it means to serve with peace and reconciliation and love. What that looks like. And alongside that, I found it amazing just doing the research on this, is how many Christians started sweet companies. Trebor was started by Christians. Quakers, predominantly. Bassett was started by Christians. Cabris was started by Christians. Bourneville was started by Christians. But Bassett, in 1918, produced a jelly baby. But it wasn't a jelly baby. It was a peace baby. We have asked them to reintroduce the peace baby that enables you in junior schools and in children's talks to use the story of the peace baby that just is another hook to enable you to connect and to build a bridge for the gospel. We've seen around the things that we've done that this connection just helps people to have something to say. It helps people to share their personal faith. It helps people to tell their personal story. So that will be happening in the autumn of that year. But wouldn't it fantastic if every church branded everything they do as part of hope? Areas are booking 
buses to just have hope on them with a link to the local church. But if they see it on your bus, like the Try Praying thing, then they see it on a banner at a church outside and all those churches together. It just kind of connects. And then you're part of something nationwide that is happening all across. We're also going to make a big thing in London about the peace, UN Peace Day, which falls in September, which will link with what we're doing here. And then the final piece is obviously Christmas again. And at Christmas, you can celebrate the fact that your church has grown by 10% during 2018. And you can celebrate all that God has done. Let me end with this. And thank you for listening. But more than that, I pray as we pray together now and I come right into land. Paul is standing before Agrippa in Acts 26. And as he's standing to give a defense of what he's done, again, your lifestyle and what you do provokes the reason for the hope that is within you. This amazing academic, ultra-intelligent theologian, preacher, stands up before Agrippa. And what does he do as a defense? He tells his faith story. He gives his testimony. Because there's no greater power than your story. And then as he's given his story, Festus gets a bit angry. And he says to Paul, are you trying to converse? And Paul says, would that all men were like me apart from these chains. And then he says this, whether long or short, I long to you to know Christ. And what we don't know is how long it will take on the journey. But what I realize more and more is the stories of people who come to faith. When they tell their story, it's been little moments where someone's had a conversation. Somebody's given them something. And it's those little pieces that build to the point where they know and they experience the love of God. And what I'm saying is, let's do the little pieces. And whether long or short, would that all men would bow now, because they will bow one day. God bless you. Thanks for listening. And thanks for letting me share.